and welcome to the Glacially Musical Podcast. It is beer, metal, sweet vinyl. Of course, I am Nick Cameron. I am joined by my good friend. Now, people always say to me, Nick, you've got such a great musical knowledge. You know so much. Me, I'm just a guy that loves music. I am joined by a man who knows everything. And hanging out with him is a shortcut to music history. Keefe Cliff Notes. How are we doing today, buddy? I mean, that's a good one. I don't know. Cliff Notes, I, I've been better. Um, I don't know. I don't think I know everything. I think I talk a lot. And I feel like I've lived a lot of history of music and loved a lot of history of music. So I thank you for the glow up. I don't always feel like I deserve one. I've been battling food poisoning. You've been battling some of your own ailments. So we are just going to muddy through and yeah, we make, are uh, gonna make it through this episode. If you have thought to yourself over the course of this part this podcast, now that we're 100 and 800 million something episodes, I've lost count even. Uh, if you've thought to yourself this whole time, my God, if only Nick could be lower energy. Well, I got good news for you. This is your week. Uh, if you are here to continue on our journey with the great sludge, prog, post, pseudo, semi-metal uh, band from the Atlantic Southeast, Baroness, because I forget where they're from. Thank you very much. We're going to do the blue record today. If this is your first week, here's how we do things. We greet, we beer check, we vinyl check, we shirt check. Break down with some news. Sad this week, sorry to say. And then we get on to the meat of the day where we discuss the history and the ups and downs of the, the record itself. As I left work early today at 1130 because I just could not stand it um, with a 45 degree drop in temperatures overnight, the and then hail and then sleet and then rain my arthritis just got me so bad I couldn't focus at work and I drove home. I said, I've, I've had enough. I'm going home. So I have been looking forward to cracking open another one of these because I've already had one. Uh, a Ranger, Voodoo Ranger IPA from New Belgium Brewing out of Colorado. This is a Session Imperial IPA. That's not a thing. I say that because it's only 7%. 7%? It's... Uh, it's it's more sessionable than nine percent, but don't. But I got two, and I'm gonna hold up my glass while I do this for the finger fire pour down the middle. We do it this way once and every now and again we have to describe the 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 double F pour. We'll call it the shocker for the meantime. It's um yeah you pour it straight down the middle you don't do the killer killing of the head to get the nice one and a half inch head you do it this way and you're less burpy Keefe told me this months ago and I'm like Keefe you're wrong you're foolish that's silly but I don't know if you've noticed but I'm not burping on the podcast anymore so it gets the job done what you got for us this week bartenders of tiktok it's all your fault um you Takes know a while I, for you to be able to drink the beer though and i get it because like you want to have the gorgeous looking poor and it's a showy thing but you know we, we're not about the dog and pony show we're about the quality so this is not attract i mean this is not attractive what is your glass though what is your glass there this is my molson canadian okay cool may i buy you a lager unfortunately i was going to beer check uh yingling this week now that it's arrived in st louis and the stores but apparently not in any of the stores I shop in. Interesting. Um, I have yet another Belching Beaver Deftones beer. This is my final beer, uh, my final can of uh, Beauty School with the gorgeous can. And I, again, I'm making my way through the end of this case of beers that I bought. And I need to, you know, drink, run out the score, if you will. <laughs> I heard the pop. No one else did. But I heard um, it. Yeah, hey, it's better than nothing. And then again, down the middle. So we go four, four, four. Oh, that's quick. Coming quick. While we're waiting that? for Keefe's glass to calm down, I'm just going to say real quick a little bit of sports news. Hope you're enjoying uh, what Vladimir Tarasenko has done to your Rangers. Hope you're, uh, he went, they went from uh, 29 and nine, 29, nine, or yeah, 29, 19 and two. And they're six, five, and one since then. So wonderful. 500 is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Thank you very much for the first round pick. We'll say St. Louis City SC, or as I'm calling them, the Cobra Commanders, uh, are 2 and 0. Oh. We had an amazing home opener, the first match ever downtown in St. Louis. 
unfortunately, I was not there. I had to listen to it on the radio. Buying the stupid package this week. They're going to get me. going to give them the hundo. And I'm just going to be angry about it. I'm just going to be angry and angry. I'm going to go ahead and get Prime back because we realized we need Prime back. Because that's how we get our cat food. So it'll pay for itself, basically. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the, uh, the, only, the only sports news I have to share is somehow, miraculously, for the first time in my own recollection of history, the Giants entered free agency by actually re-signing their two superstar guys and not letting them walk. I was convinced we were losing at least one of them. And uh, they managed to re-sign Daniel Jones. It seems like a lot of money today for a pretty marginal guy. But it's hard to get a quarterback in the NFL. And next oh, year, okay, that was American football. Okay, I yes. had no idea what you were talking yeah. about. When the uh, New York Football Giants re-signed quarterback Daniel Jones and franchise-tagged running back Saquon Barkley, so at least for one more year, we have the two of them. Uh, it was a lot of money for the two of them, but we still can make some moves because we got it done before the deadline of free agency. Well, there you and go. Uh, next year, when all the quarterbacks sign new deals and their escalator clauses go up. And guys like Pat, Patrick Mahomes are making like $70 million. Daniel Jones's $40 million is going to seem small and out, been, of the, out of the top 10. So. I've been listening to, to Sports Talk Radio a little bit in St. Louis lately because I'm just tired of my podcast and a break from them all. Don't ever take a break from ours, though. I've uh, been listening to it, and they were talking about players making $50 million in the NFL. And I'm like, wait a minute, what happened to the salary cap? Stuff is $250 million a year now. There's still a cap, but it keeps going up and up and up. And uh, especially at the quarterback position, again, nothing against Danny Dimes. He's good in the clutch. He outperformed with no talent around him except Barkley and one good offensive lineman. Literally, they were playing guys that could not make any other team at number one and number two wide receiver. And he they made the playoffs. They won a playoff game. A lot of that has to do with the coach. A lot of the... Picking up guys from the scrap heap has to do with the GM, but I'm proud of my guys, and it, I feel like we're we're built for a little run here. We're putting a good defense together, so good stuff there. If you like the NFL, baseball is around the corner. Pitchers and catchers and spring training games are already underway, so I'm super excited mm. for my Yankees. You don't care. Nah. And uh, Although, quick question. Shohei Otani, is he a free agent? What's the deal with that? So I think the story with that is, you know, players, they have to – Oh, and cheers, by the way. Oh, we didn't do a cheers. Cheers to you. I'll drink from the kitchen. It's the uh, YouTube happy hour. YouTube happy hour. Let's do that. So he's the Japanese uh, guy. Right oh, now. I know who he is. He's he's the greatest player in the world because he, he can actually play. Arguably the greatest player in the world right well, now. Well, he is. And, he's um, he's the, the little league baseball player that can do his little league shtick in the big leagues. Where Because, right. you know, every little every major league baseball player was the pitcher on his little league team at one time. Right. Because you got to be able to have that kind of. Uh, there's arm. there's one guy in the major leagues right now that like literally has like a three or a two five ERA and also hit like fifty home runs last year. I think he's on the Angels. I forget. Yeah, but, sure. Um, Tony. Okay, yeah. So I think the story is you got to like buy his contract to negotiate. No, no, so, no. He's on the Angels. Oh, okay. Maybe they're having a fire sale. I'm not aware. Of that. I don't know. Okay. If you don't I, know, you don't know. All my knowledge stopped when the Yankees re-signed Aaron Judge and kept him oh, from going to an LA, t a California team, because he's from the Bay Area and he really wanted mm. he, he really wanted to come back here, and they just gave him like the biggest contract ever or something. Fair enough. I will right. do one more sports thing and then I'll call it a day. The St. Louis Battlehawks of the XFL are two and one. And this Saturday, Sunday, excuse me, this Sunday, we have our home opener in the XFL 2.1, as I'm calling it, though everybody else is calling it the XFL 3.0. We have our home opener and they have opened the second level of seating. So they are expecting a minimum of 30,000 people at an XFL game and it could go even bigger. It's ridiculous. It's awesome. But moving on, I'm going to go ahead and do a vinyl check. I fully that, spilled my beer, by the way, when I, this, when I poured the rest of it in. Are we okay, Interruptor? Skeletor's uh, annoying younger brother. Get it? Nobody gets that joke. I get it. It's funny to me. Anyway, I'm going to do my vinyl check, if you don't mind. This past weekend, my my aunt, <coughs> excuse me, my aunt invited me over to pick through their records. And I, you know, you don't know what you're going to come across when you're dealing with somebody who is a generation past you. And what she ended up having was a lot of really cool stuff. And I'm going to show you one today, and we'll talk about the rest here in a minute. 
But what I the first thing I reached into and grabbed, and I cannot repeat the words I said because, you know, YouTube. And my wife then looked at me and said, Nick, language. But uh, what I came home with, the first record, was an original pressing of Pink Floyd, The Delicate Sound of Thunder. It is a gatefold. And here, you know, nice little inserts. And I've already put it in the Mylar, of course. This one was so wonderful, it didn't even need to be cleaned. Oh, here's the gatefold itself. You got the Pink Floyd uh, circle, circle jiggy. But if you would like, because I've got a lot of really cool other things, some very rare things from alternate port, part, uh, ports, alternate ports of call, alternate parts of the globe, some really cool ACDC records specifically from New Zealand that it, if I checked it, it's, it's, it's another 40 records past this. So what do you think about doing another episode on what I came home with because I think we that'd should, make a, a pretty nice chaser. You should do a chaser, and certainly this uh, Baroness series is going to go very long, so we could definitely interrupt the series with a chaser and then have yeah. another chaser later. I'm fine. Agreed. With that. Agreed. Um. Yeah. Good stuff. That's a great find. Family sometimes, uh, to quote Vin Diesel, family. Family sometimes comes through. So uh, that's cool. I, I will say that this record has made me swear off 180 gram represses unless it becomes an economic issue. Wow. Okay. It sounds so much better than the remastered and remixed version that I bought a couple years ago that I will listen to this five times in a row before I listen to the expanded version again. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's that much better. See, to me, it's like I went through a thing where I was buying just kind of willy-nilly stuff at the store, whatever I could find, and, you know, some of the more older presses, and I didn't care too much about the quality, and then I got one 180 gram, and I was like, oh, what am I doing? Why am I not buying everything on 180 gram? So I have the I, experience. I find that the elder pressings tend to, especially the Pink Floyd albums, because a lot of their albums in the 2016 represses were digital files pressed onto vinyl so they don't necessarily have all that magic but i've got a really cool record that i'm gonna hit purchase on this weekend and uh we'll we'll talk about it because i'm hype it's about a big band we've all talked about a thousand times but not this week i think okay then uh i have my vinyl check and it's a bit of a sad one oh I'll, I'll tell you why so you know i had been um not buying a lot of records and just kind of cutting through my swath of stuff that's been sitting in the two check pile and then uh, went to the record store last month here in town, which is where I sometimes get stuff that's been like overlooked by other people. They have a sizable punk and metal collection as well as other genres, but um, they had a lot of sort of a bin of, Hey, these are the record store day things that never sold. So I got that kitty. I got that shadows fall. And what was the third thing that I really wanted from that record store day? which was this guy, Dream Widow, which is the side project metal band from Foo Fighters. Now, I don't know if there are any remaining tracks of Taylor Hawkins that haven't been released or songs he wrote that they didn't finish. If there aren't, this is his final album because it's wow. a, a year after the disco EP, the Bee Gees covers, and a year after Medicine and Midnight. So this is Dream Widow, and I'm going to just quickly show off the Dream Widow, I've already put it in the Outer Mylar, and now the Inner Mylar came with this cool kind of uh, sleeve. It's not the Mylar, but it's like the sleeve with the lyrics. It's an EP. I dig that, dig that. Basically an EP, but I do like the lyrics. And, uh, oh, technically, now that I think about it, Taylor is not on this record, because I just looked at the track listing and who's playing on it, and it's not Taylor Hawkins. So, oops. Uh, Dave Grohl, drums, bass, guitar, and vocals. Jim Rota from Fireball Ministry, who's Grohl's, one of Grohl's producer friends, lead guitar on tracks one through five. Oliver Roman, keyboardist, and Rami Jaffe, keyboardist on several tracks. So uh, no Taylor. I don't know what I'm talking about, once again. Um, and then uh, I've already put it in an inner sleeve. It's just the 1-8. It's just the black, well, you know, standard. But I, I like think when you, when you bring up Fireball Ministry, we're just bound to put our feet in our mouth. Well, yes, and uh, Black Sabbath is is on tour right now in California, and they are playing 
my city this weekend. So I'm going to try to go. Uh, very cool, sort of uh, weird, comical, messed up pentagram slash Jewish <laughs> Star of David kind of on each side of the label. No Looks like a, a, a really terrible drawing of a goblin's helmet. That's also possible. I oh, have you this... ever noticed that the Deicide logo for Legion looks like a golden mask? I mean, maybe. Look um, at it. Next time you see that album, look at it. It looks like a goalie mask, like the modern cage molded goalie masks. Fair enough. So yeah, that's uh, that was that was the end of my Thrill House Records shout out to Thrill House Records. Fine, I probably will not be able to go back there for a while, but I am hoping to go back there eventually. Um, there's also a big Stoner Doom Metal Fest coming to my town in a few weeks, uh, which I will attend at least one day of, and. Hold me, I'm gonna have to really try not to buy all the vinyl because it's uh yeah, I hear you. We uh we are actually going on a, a vinyl spree this weekend. We have held off for forever and just gonna go gonna go drop some bucks on it, and then we're gonna drop some more bucks on it next week. Just you know, haven't been to a record store in over in months and a lot of a lot of old timey checks to be to be checking. Looking forward to that. But um right. I had something else to say and I lost it. So, Shirt oh, check, news check, concerts to go to. I I am sad to say I will not be seeing El Perro, the new project of uh, Radio Moscow tomorrow, as the tour has been canceled. Also sad to say that I will not be going to see Obituary because I realized I'll be out of town, which sucks. And DRI is coming to town. Hopefully, I can get somebody to go with. But so far, it's looking bad. My buddy, Danny, who will go to any concert in the world, he's like, I, I'm busy that night and I don't like DRI. I don't know how Danny doesn't like DRI. So we're going to have to do a run just to convince Danny. Hi, Danny. Danny of Torchlight Parade. Um, news check continued and then shirt check or what? Yeah, let's do the news check. Um, Are you already on your second beer? Well, I mean, I'm not really on it yet, but yeah. He's just, he's just setting it up. Wow. I opened uh, it, and I mean, I was trying to be sly while you were talking. Thank you for bringing that up. I, mean, um, I noticed, but I had a bad day. I had a really. I've, I mean, just I understand. Seriously, I, you know, I finally was getting ready to take a nap. My cat jumps on my full bladder. My wife's cat, excuse me. My wife's chunker cat jumps on my full bladder, and I'm like, "You, okay? Thanks, Louis. Thank you, Louis. Thank you very much. I am angry at you, and I have been angry at him for the rest of the day. And he does not understand why because he's a cat." Uh, but, um, well, uh, let's start with the bad news uh, this weekend, this beginning of this week, of course, we all learned that the last original member and second to last classic member of Leonard Skinner, Gary Rossington has, has passed away. Uh, cause of death is not revealed, but I mean, if I were to hazard, yes, uh, I would hazard the guess that it's just the, the long, hard life, long, hard life catching up. Excuse me. He died a little bit younger than I think we would have liked. Um, Gary Rossington, the only player to be on every single Led Zeppelin or Leonard Skinner record. He also did. I I keep. I know I I do that a lot. Uh, Leonard Skinner. Anyway, he also did the amazing Rossington Collins band, which was basically Leonard Skinner with his future wife, Dale Krantz, as the vocalist. Some amazing music there. I need to check out. I've been meaning to check out the the Gary Rossington band, which he also did. Apparently, the Rossington Collins band split up. Then there was the Rossington band and the Collins band. Now there's also the Artemis Pyle band. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. But um, uh, two things. So you know, Gary, um, intrinsic to the sound of Leonard Skinner, he is the slide guitar player on the majority of the classic Skinner material. He has one solo on Freebird. He is the soloist on Tuesday's Gone, my personal favorite Skinnerd song. Um, Played that album on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, had to, had to. Um, you know, he had heart problems for many years, and I suspect that's what it is or was. Uh, we don't know for sure, but they it was unexpected. They were not, you know, he had not been ill. They had been touring, uh, whatever passes for Leonard Skinner these days with Johnny Van Zant, And... Um, you know, it's just sad. These people are pe- we're losing people. They're peeling away, and uh, it makes me sad. But uh, Skinner is one of the great American bands. Like again, a lot of the bands from the seventies came from England and Europe and the UK. 
And America doesn't have nearly as many classically great rock bands. It sounds crazy to say that out loud, but it's true. If you really think about it, America has few bands that are really comparable to your Zeppelin's Deep Purple's Black Sabbath's Thin Lizzy's. Correct. You have Aerosmith, Kiss, Skinnerd, Metallica. But Metallica's different because they're they're metal. But I I also would I, there's a few others I would throw in there, but yeah, Rush is is Canadian, but they're not American. Not American. There are, there are a few others. Um, it's but you're right. It for so long rock music was an English thing to the point where if a musician was on an American sitcom, nine times out of ten they had an English accent. Just that was just, just how it was, you it's, know. It's weird how uh, that uh, American blues and jazz music had to go somewhere else, get reinterpreted and brought back to us, and then we loved it. It's yeah, almost it's, like America has a racism problem. You don't know. Uh, I like to think of it as us playing catch because one of the great things is the English blues bands brought over the African American gentleman who originated it to play with them. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Anyway, Rolling Stones jammed with Muddy Waters a couple of years into their career, and that was like they were like, "We made it. What do we do now? Something uh, else." Yeah. Well, they, country, um, country rock. Oh God, I... who's the polka dot guy? Buddy guy. Oh, polka dot. Not buddy guy. Buddy guy. Randy Rhodes. No, <laughs> the blues guy. Oh, he's still playing. He owns Legends Bar and Grill. It is Buddy Guy. Buddy Guy. He his his um, harmonica player went over to play with the Yardbirds. Oh yeah, Hubert Sumlin. And, and he he calls he calls Buddy. And he's like, oh my god, they love the blues bad over here, yeah. and they play it bad. You need to come over and teach them. That's great. That was in Buddy's uh, autobiography. Er- ergo, uh, Zeppelin copying and covering a lot of stuff, Smokestack Lightning and stuff like that, Killing Floor. And um, you know, Skinner, Skinner's Southern Rock, I think, was that that was the response to the English the English response to the American blues, which was a response to American jazz, which it just goes on and on and on back to Africa. You know, it's called a thing what it is. Most American popular music has African American ancestry or roots, even bluegrass and country. Fight me. There's nothing to fight. Uh, folk music at all. Comes I don't mean you. I mean people. No, who... I know. No, I know. Um. So yeah, Gary, I think there's no other news that's worth talking about after the story like this. It's just sad. He's great. Uh, and I know that people, I'll just say this, like people were mad about um last living member. So the band, like that was in their statement that he was the last living original member. Yes, Ricky Medlock has been in and out of Skinner for 40, 50 years. And yes, Artemis is a beloved person, even though he wasn't in the band that long, actually. Um, four years really and he's disliked greatly by the no, other two members years, of the band two years i i uh, know the artist's manager and i'm supposed i was supposed to interview him around the anniversary of the plane crash listen gary rosington survived the plane crash and lived another 45 years in mazel tov, you know what i'm saying like holy cow um what are the odds when it comes to skinner it's, po- it's worth pointing out that there's three kinds of originals as it were there's the band as they started when they came up with the name. For Metallica, that's Lloyd Grant, Lars Ulrich, and James Hetfield. For you know, for Leonard Skinner, I don't even not, know who the Lloyd hell Grant was. plays on the demo as a paid guy. He was not a member. Oh, of he wasn't. Okay, we'll find a member. Okay, then just Lars and James. Yeah, Lars and James and Ron McGovney has a claim to say that he is an original member of Metallica. Nobody else. All right, all right, all right. Maybe so, Mustaine. We're getting a little bit too specific, but Mustaine does not. But anyway, then so you, then you have the, the first band to be on the album. Then you have the classic lineup, which does not always jive. You know, I will die on the hill that Metallica's classic lineup is the Newstead lineup because that's when they achieved their biggest fame. That's that's how I see it. That's my opinion. And. You know, Artemis Pyle was a, I don't even know if I would call him classic now that I really think about it. He was on two albums and one tour, maybe two tours. I've heard nothing but good things about him, and I'm sure he's a swell dude, and I would enjoy interviewing him and talking to him about his career. 
But yeah, in terms of who was a founding member of the band that is now the last living member and now passed on, there are no living original founding members from the guys who went to high school together. So even Ed King, who is a, clearly a classic lineup member, was not a founding member. In fact, he is a California guy who like was enamored with Southern rock and wanted to be, you know, either a flying burrito brother or a Skinner guy. And that's how he ended up in that band. So hey, yeah. more power to you. If, you. if you make it, you make it, How you know, it's, I, I read a great article on blurs online, uh, which is blurs or black nerds talking about white rappers. And if you celebrate the culture rather than appropriate the culture, it's fine. And Ed King definitely celebrate did not appropriate. That's you know nice, I, nice to them. And I will, uh, I will yield my time. All right then, uh, shirt checking on to the show. Go for you want to go first? Or, I am uh, rocking my Barishi Old Smoke T-shirt, a record I have actually not listened to in quite some time. Great avant-garde death metal from Connecticut, uh, Vermont. I think we're due for mm-hmm. a new Barishi album this year. I'm not 100% about right. Sure. Old Smoke is uh, three years old now. Yeah, they're working on a new one. And then I am wearing my The Greatest Band in History, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. Uh, Got them on vinyl. We need to do a run of Dr. Teeth albums or Dr. Teeth, maybe a Dr. Teeth uh, deep dive. I uh, I have a an English pressing of the Muppet movie. That's great. Uh, so I actually have Can You Picture That? Which is just one of the greatest songs of all time. Aurora Borealis, shining down in Dallas. Can you picture that? Love it. Love it. Sorry. Uh, sorry. When when I was a teenage actor, Austin Pendleton, Doc Hopper's number two from the Muppet movie, was my acting teacher and coach. You have mentioned that in the past. And he said that I was the most talented kid actor he ever met. And it mm. didn't mean I did not become an actor. So whatever. Um <laughs> Moving I right played, along. I played the villain in a Christmas uh, play in fourth grade and nothing ever came of that. So fair enough. Um, so shall, unless there's anything else, let's pick nothing up else. With, let's pick up with Baroness. So we did Red Album uh, last time and we took it right up and through the release of the album. And they, you know, in short order, were heaped. Uh, praise was heaped on them. I think they were highly anticipated. That debut album came out on Relapse. Gives you a certain carte blanche. Produced by Kai Lisa, who were already a thing on Relapse and out in the world and making name for themselves. Savannah becoming a little epicenter, a little scene. And the band, the uh, Red album was Revolvers, rock and metal album of the year. For 2007, that's saying a lot. Think about the records that came out in 2007. Black Dahlia Murder, Machine Head, like a lot of cool records. Um, And then so they were number one. They go tour, tour, tour. And then they go back in the studio. They write their next record. But before that, they, they have even more touring opportunities they open a lot of tour dates for Mastodon, who become friends of theirs from nearby Atlanta, Savannah and Atlanta, probably about a two-hour drive, maybe a little more. Help me out, Atlanteans. And um, not an outcast reference, sorry. But, um, Don't be. you know, they uh, they go and they write their next record. I think it was... You know, immediately as soon as the album cover came out, you understood the connection. Red album with the very distinct artwork painted by John Dyer Baisley. Blue album or blue record. Also similar vein, just blue. And um, we get a couple of singles and the record comes out in October of 2009. And their first, like right off the bat, we'll get into the record in a few, they are like it was super like you know most anticipated records of the year they had done before they went in the studio to record they had done a ton like i said a ton of touring they played the scion rock fest in atlanta which i attended it was the first time i ever saw them because i was going through like a transition thing in my life in 2007 and 2008 i didn't go to a lot of that many i went to less shows those couple of years year and a half i did see some big festivals, but not a lot of shows. And then in 2008, 2009, as the year advanced, I started to go to, back to my regular clip of shows again. Before we continue, let's, I, I wanted to ask you a question about this. 
I feel like Baroness came out at just the right time because if you think about because the blue red comes out in 2007 as we discussed last week in 2007 it was still possible to break through it was hard it but every year since 1996 with the f's when the fcc act went into place every year after that got harder and harder but i feel like in 2007 it was still possible to break through and get noticed and so it's since then there's been only one metal band that's been able to rise to their level, and that's Def Haven. I mean, yeah, I guess I, wait, I'm confused about the FCC mention. Are you talking about like radio pop? pop yes, the, the FCC, the FCC Act of 1996 made it deregulated owning media stations. So okay. before that time, you could only own a newspaper, a radio station, and a TV station in a market. After that bill was signed and took effect, you could own many. So what ended up happening, the unintended or intended consequence basically ended up being radio stations like KC, which at that time were the best new rock, the best classic rock, have now become the best classic rock, a.k.a. the same 100 songs every other rock station in America plays. So they do not play new music, period. At that time, you could see, in, in 2007, the, the wall had not completely closed up. You, you could still smell the Amontillado at this point. You know, six weeks later, of course, 2008, 2009, uh, Fortunato had already, is gone and you could no longer see him. That was a literary reference in case nobody got it. I was referencing Edgar Allan Poe because I read books. Yes, you were actual books. Um, I have thoughts about why they broke through. I don't know if you want me to save them for the Go end. Go ahead. Of the Go ahead and hit it now. Give it now. Okay. I think it was a confluence of things. First of all, they were a, a critic's darling right away. I think they were exciting. And, uh, Again, if Revolver and Decibel are immediately clinging to your band before you release your first full length and you have just EPs out and those taste-making periodicals are kind of jump and pitchfork and other ones are jumping on you, that uh, consequence even before they were metal, giving you a thumbs up is a good thing. And that's still a time when those media outlets held much more sway than they did five years, 10 years later. There, was, there wasn't as much social media or websites, actually. Right. At that point in time, you know, we, the America was just migrating to Facebook off of MySpace. When my, my wife and I started dating in 08 and we became MySpace friends not long after that. And then it wasn't until I moved in the next year that we became Facebook friends. And so, yeah, there was no going viral. There was no, you know, the, the internet being a taste making machine was not a thing yet. And it's, it's amazing how quickly things have changed. But what was a taste making machine in the music world from let's say 2004 to 2010 or 11? Still print media. There's one thing you're forgetting. All right. Hit me. Apple iTunes. Apple iTunes was one of the biggest central hubs of music at that time. I know there was still file sharing, the Pirate Bay, whatever, but I think like that clout from the underground mixed with the popularity of Apple iTunes, because I remember buying Blue like the day of on Apple iTunes. See, I, I, got, I, I should leave, leave this till next week, but I got in on Yellow and Green because they were in Guitar World in 2011. Right. And yeah, the uh, Guitar World, Guitar Hero. Mm -hmm. Rock Band, those things come a little later, but surely there's a lot of Baroness music on Rock Band and Guitar Hero. And um, you know, again, they toured for very, they got onto very high profile tours. They went to Europe. They, before Blue Album comes out, they played Roadburn. They toured all of Europe. They played other festivals like Freak Valley and Desert Fest, which are still around today, as is Roadburn. That's and, another thing, though. It's yeah. you don't get onto tours anymore as an unknown. It's it's you, have to buy, you would have you'd have to buy on which right. is pay to play thing. has always existed, mm -hmm. but pay to play now is no right. longer it that that is now the requirement. It is not an option. Yeah, mostly I will say like the first nugget of like next level up comes right after the drop of Blue Album. So um, it is very interesting. Like I said, I went to Scion Rock Fest 
headlined by Mastodon and Neurosis, also featuring Clutch, also featuring Baroness, also featuring Kylisa, also featuring Black Tusk, also featuring a lot of these same uh, Warbringer. It was like a whole thrash metal stage. Cryptopsy also played. Uh, was fantastic down at the Masquerade, the old Masquerade. There's now a new Masquerade. Um, and there was also a giant outdoor tent, similar to how Psycho Las Vegas was last year. I mean, and, you uh, you bring up Cryptopsy, and I'm just going to throw back to the Cannibal Corpse obituary show I went to a number of years ago. That show was Cannibal Corpse, obituary, Cryptopsy, Abysmal Dawn. Abysmal Dawn was the closest thing to Unknown, and they were on Relapse Records. And that was 2018, I believe. So it's the 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 world has changed so much since 07. And I consider this to be a heavy metal history podcast. So it's important to me to try to kind of throw in how the world has changed. And also that's me also banging the drum for just because new music in 2023 isn't as popular as it was in 07 or 95 doesn't mean it's worse. It just means the channels are no longer open. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I have nothing really else to add to this. So I think it's time for the track by track. Let's hit it. I'm going to, I listened to this uh, twice today, halftime yesterday. So I'm going to do my best. The, I love John. Do not misunderstand. However, he's a lot like, call it Brian John. He's got Brian Johnson syndrome where there's one melody there's not a whole and there's not a whole lot of variance which can make and then there's a lot of sameness in the tone i know i say this kind of stuff a lot but i mean it's, it's legitimately true so well i mean but, you had went on record in the very first episode that this is your favorite record and their best in your no opinion. oh it's green it's yellow and green That's yellow and green see i think they have two 10 of 10s and this is one of them and yellow i and would green say is this one. is a 10 of 10 However, it's not yellow. Actually, I would say they have three ten of tens, but we'll get to that. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure. Uh, gotta, but let, anyway, let me rephrase. I have, I need to listen to Golden Gray again, and we'll come back. Yeah, I I we'll we'll get into it. So yeah, Blue Album. I I believe it had a few singles. Let's just double check that information because you know how we like to be inaccurate. And wildly so. Wildly inaccurate. Hopefully, I my meeting in person with uh, Emily goes well. And Tell her I said hi. I will try if we end up chatting. Uh, but yeah, I think it, they had a few singles. There was a video and, uh, later on in the album because I listened to it on YouTube. Um, creepy video, too, I might add. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Horse Called Golgotha, I think, was the actual single. War Wisdom and Rhyme also. Yeah, and that's then, the most creepy video. For wisdom and rhyme. And the gnashing also was uh, sort of a quasi-popular song. So Blue Record comes out in October, uh, October 13th, 2009. And uh, it's their first album to feature Pete Adams on guitar, who is in the band for a very long you know, stretch at this point. After this, six, seven albums. And um, the last album with Summer Welch, who helped found the band. So the album opens. We're just going to run through the track by track. I actually have. Written... Did you say six or seven albums? Um, six or seven years. Sorry. Not okay. Six or seven. Like I, was say, I don't have that many. No, three. He's three albums he did with them. It, sh it should be uh, it should be pointed out that it's kind of a running theme that Baroness uh, is parting out members who aren't John. Well, yeah, it's his band, and I think it always was and was planned to be his project, so that's a thing. Hey, nothing uh, wrong with that. If, when you listen to the music going, you know, in, in a linear basis like we're doing, you're not losing anything from the sound. It continues being the same band, even though, you know, even though the, you know, the center is still the same, but the wings are different songs, but the song remains the same. Mm. That's Led Zeppelin. Yeah, I know. So, so the first track is going to be a Nick special, the opening instrumental. That's about a minute, 20 seconds. Unnecessary. Bull, Bullhead's Psalm. It's basically part of the, the second song. though. It's I basically, know. And it's also, again, uh, Baroness leaning heavily into the same, I don't want to say formula, but the same format where they have mo musical motifs that repeat across songs, lyrical themes that come back, titles that call out other titles, and um instrumentals peppered in with the actual songs so 
Um, it is on brand for them. I, I my notes say this is a pretty instrumental to open the album. I would agree. A lot of pretty arpeggios, nice guitar work. Uh, they they like to have that theme, the the opening theme of their records to set the tone. Indeed. If you're um, listening to it, you know front to back, these things are fine. I just don't like them on shuffle because they come up and you see that record and you're like, yeah, and then it's the 28 second intro track. And I'm like, no, but and and they did that on, excuse me, yellow and green. Each album on yellow and green has an intro track as a theme song. Yes. Mm -hmm. And maybe arguably multiple theme songs actually. So the first full track of blue album or blue record. I think it's red album and blue record, which is correct. That is Um, correct. So blue record, the first full song is The Sweetest Curse, which is a quintessential Baroness track. It's heavy. It's sludgy stoner rock, very much in the in the vein of early Mastodon and Neurosis. And um, it's heavy. It's got a great vocal from John. And I don't know what this song is about, but it rocks. I, I have no idea what any of their songs are about. I, I feel like they, for lack of a better term, they're heavy metal Pink Floyd where Pink Floyd never really fit into the categories. They weren't blues-based rock. They weren't prog rock precisely. They were a little bit of everything and a little and always nothing blazing their own trail. And that's exactly how Baroness comes across to me. And the difference is, whereas Roger Sid at, at, Roger and Sid are very, were very forthcoming about their lyrics and very straightforward, John's lyrics are very avant-garde, very poetic, very metaphorical. So you're gonna find you're gonna find what you want, and you know that's not a bad thing at all. Great open, legitimate opening track. Great start. the The tone is set by the theme. The theme this week is very different than last week's theme. The red was started off much hotter. Blue comes off much colder. So they're definitely choosing the right kind of stuff there. Sorry, I got confused because we had a bit of a lag, so hopefully that came through. I think so. We're good. Um, the next track is Jake Leg. I don't know what a Jake Leg is, but it's another badass song. Uh, my notes say that this is almost garage punk rock, which is on brand because, again, John's roots are in punk. It's still kind of a stoner rock song, but it's got like a tempo and a riff that will de- definitely remind you of very garagey proto-punk correct and this is very much on brand it's got you know continuing on the theme it's these albums are very much moods it's it's ups it's downs it's peaks it's valleys and another great song i hate the title because it reminds me of the local grateful dead cover band jake's leg but that's not their fault they probably don't know jake's leg maybe they do though um, I, you know, I get the feeling that John is a like a historian of music and riffs and bands. And so you do hear things that are clear in, you know, there's never a copycat thing, but there's always a clear inspiration across, you know, different stylistic choices for me on I'll these albums. So it's possible that he does know the Grateful Dead a lot. No, no, no. Um, Jake's Leg is a Grateful Dead tribute band in St. Louis. Okay. So I, 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 I moving on. Yeah, okay. Uh, the first or the second after the intro track, the first kind of chill moment is Steel That Sleeps the Eye, which gets its title from the first lyric of the next song. And it's about two and a half, almost three minutes. And I wrote that it's a very chill, almost Alice in Chains unplugged, Chris Cornell unplugged type of track. Have you noticed that the lyrics in these are not the lyrics? I'm sorry. Have you noticed the titles on these on these this album are very reminiscent of the trials and tribulations Homer Simpson had to go through in order to join the Stonecutters? Maybe. See, the he has one. There's one where it's you know the unblinking eye, or crossing of the desert, the paddling of the swollen arse. What's the next song? Well, the next song is Swollen and Halo. Oh. And uh, 
it's long. It's the long boy. It's the longest track on the record, but it doesn't feel long. And I'll tell you why, because basically it's got like a very long opening salvo and an ending that's similar. And then there's a middle section that's kind of like a progressive rock thing. But the rest of the song is like a heavy metal thrash song, not unlike Hammers of Misfortune, like progressive rock and thrash. Uh, and also like more contemporary to this album, Mastodon, like Crack the Sky or The Hunter. So when uh, great oh, track. when I saw them on the Yellow and Green tour after the crash, my buddy who bought the tickets said when they played this one, because I only knew Yellow and Green at that point. I had not gotten into to, to Red and Blue yet. And I don't know Red and Blue nearly as well as I do Yellow and Green, Purple and Gold and Gray. But when they played this song, it's like, I was really hoping they would play this one for you because I know you really like their more metal stuff than their calmer stuff. And that that was exactly this. But when you say it's the long boy, it doesn't feel that way. That is correct. And I probably said this last week, but I'm going to say it again. These albums remind me so much of Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin in the way that these are conceptual works even though Led Zeppelin and Led Zeppelin 2 and Led Zeppelin 3 are not concept records, these songs flow into it. The songs flow into each other and taking Live and Love and May, just a woman by itself, feels wrong because it, it's out of... It, when you listen to Led Zeppelin out of context, if you're not listening to the Big Ten, it feels weird. That's how Baroness is to me. When you can... When you can sit and focus on the music they're playing, it's much more powerful and much better. Nice work. And another, it's funny that you mentioned Zeppelin or coincidental because the next track is your Zeppelin 3, you know, obligatory Zeppelin 3 song, Ojichi Hymnal, which is clearly named for the Ojichi River, which runs through central Georgia. And uh, it's like, I'm sure it's a Native American name, Ojichi, right? And uh, I have to be about peachy baseball cards, but that's besides the point. Could be, uh, you know, you get a lot of titles, these pastoral titles. No, oh, peachy is Canadian. Okay. Sorry. You get a lot of these titles with Baroness Psalms, hymns, hymnals, backwater thing. You know, they haven't ever used baptism by fire because that's too obvious. But like, it, clearly these are threads that run through John's lyrics and titles title so maybe he has a title book somewhere this is just a a standard interlude for the album it's the midway point to the album remember and, uh, oh sorry uh, go ahead. it's solid remember in in the load days the the when the the load metallica load press cycle was going on and they did a new rockumentary on mtv just two years after they had previously done one and all that stuff there was a shot of james in in his truck and it was done obviously by the second unit with a camcorder, a really cheap camera. And he's wearing a Raiders jersey and he's 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 in in the drive-thru to get, you know, some burgers. And he looks at the, the only thing they use is he looks at the camera guy and he goes, I've got my notepad and my pencils right here in case an idea for lyrics come up. And this was the time when he was admitting or saying quick, you know, clearly I'm doing more personal lyrics now. But if you listen to those lyrics, they don't sound personal. That's this. But you, you know, cannot go one episode without mentioning Metallica. I, I, I will also say I tried one more time because I'm on a big Metallica kick lately. Same. I tried one more time to, to watch some kind of monster. And oh, I God. once again fell asleep more than mid more than before the midway point i was snoring away no no, no. i'm gonna myself I'm gonna up snoring like i'm gonna dog. shake my head so hard my gobbles jiggles i mean that's no uh i can't, I can't watch it i can't make it through it. Only, i can't make it through the only useful part of that movie there's one useful part the bass auditions that's cool I've seen them separately on a YouTube video. I've never made it that far into the movie to see them. Oh, happen. yeah, that's all you need. If you've seen that, you've seen the whole thing. The last thing I remember is Newstead saying when Phil came in, like, no, just no, this is terrible. No. Holy crap, that's only 15 minutes. I think so. Anyway, <laughs> um, moving on. I'm sorry. Uh, let, me, I, I, let me finish my point. This, this, That's what John's lyrics remind me of that. And when you say it's, you know, it's hymnals, it's psalms, it's this and that. He is clearly calling into the infinite. The these his 
they sound like a desperate man's, his vocals sound like a desperate man's prayers. The emotion and the anguish is there. I don't know what he's talking about. You know, it's it's like if I would go see a Catholic mass in Latin, I wouldn't know either. And that's what his lyrics are so metaphorical and so avant-garde. That's how it comes across to me, but it hits hard. It's very powerful because he puts that much into it. And right. I'll be quieter because we're going longer than either of us no, want. No, we're going right on. I think we're right about right about on time. Um, Speaking of religious and Christian imagery. A Horse Called Golgotha is the next track. And it is absolutely, yes, uh, Golgotha, if you didn't know, is the skull place where people were crucified. And my notes are ble- bleeping metal. This song is metal as heck. And it is five minutes and 21 seconds of riffs riff salad if you will and uh i again don't know what it's about but it rules and if it is about some biblical references cool i don't get them because i'm not a biblical person my best friend's a minister and i once told him i don't like christian metal because it's, it's christianity it's not metal and he just looks at me and he goes you don't think a dude being nailed to a cross isn't metal I'm like, yeah. damn, Chris. Okay, that makes you got me. But still, most, most Black Sabbath songs written by Geezer Butler are either about science ah. fiction or Jesus. Anyway, um, I know, I know. And this just reminds me of Hell's Chief Assassin from Dogma, the Golgotha, and that was his name, uh, voiced yes. by Ethan Souple. Oh, is it? Okay. Yes, it is. Great. Um, I mean, another great song. It's heavy, it's, it's big. And Baroness has all these tricks. Or I guess John has all these tricks that he doesn't use. The, he doesn't show off any one thing he can do. He flashes it and puts it away. That's fair. Very fair. Uh, the eighth track, as we're getting through the meat of the album, hopefully not the soft underbelly, but Ower Hell and Hide. Which this I album have, has no soft underbelly. It has no soft underbelly because they're all bangers. Um to, to kind of give away the plot here a little early, but yeah, this is more of a progressive stoner rock kind of track. Uh, you, you've seen other bands copy this exact type of song, Red Fang, I'm looking at you, Clutch, even though they predate Baroness by about 10 years. I'm yeah, but Clutch had you. a real serious uh, Motley Crue level of uh, uh, personality crisis. Maybe. Identity crisis. I we mean, should come really on. Do, we should really do Clutch at some point, just because oh, I think it'd be worth doing. You just want to hate me. I don't hate you. I think no, you'll what you want to because apparently we're getting along too well. So we got to do things like clutch and and mastodon. There's, to... there's never going to be another Motley Crue. So like you know, or or uh, Quiet Riot. So we gotta. I don't. I don't think we're gonna punish each other that bad. But yeah. Okay. No, I won't. I won't, I won't give you the Duncan. Any? Oh, poor Duncan. Oh my God. I know. This I am. Poor bastard. I feel bad about last week. I feel bad. You really should. He's just doesn't deserve this. He didn't ask mm-hmm. for this. Um, do you have any he other did. thoughts? He did on, ask for it. Any other thoughts on this song? Or no, great track. You know, this th- the thing about this album is if you are not paying super mega attention, it just flows. Its movements, its moves, its counter moves. It never. It, it feels like a single thematic concept. It feels like a play. It's like you're listening to a musical. It's great. Nice. Um. Arguably, one of the top three songs on the record for me is the ninth track, War, Wisdom, and Rhyme. I mentioned it. I sang a little of it earlier. Again, four four minutes and change. Uh, heavy metal, stoner rock, Barchi Barchi is what my notes say. Barchi B. That really An- good one. Another, another big thumper. I did not need the dude vomiting in the video. Just going to throw that out there. And yeah, it. it's, it's great song. Great song. Bad video. Yep. Fair enough. Then you have another interlude called Black Powder Orchard. One word, Black Powder, which I imagine is a gunpowder orchard. And then my notes say, paddle faster, I can hear banjos. Because it definitely reminds me of Deliverance and the dueling banjos. Even though there's no banjos, probably. This is another one of those songs where there are so many great harmony guitar parts. And I feel like Baroness is never really lauded for the things they should be lauded for. Do they make great albums? Yes, of course. I mean, we are just uh, pud whacking all over this. Uh, uh, yeah. 
and we, but we said we would. We said we were going to be probably oh, favorable yeah. on most of these records. Yeah, we, I mean, we both love this band. I've got several of their records on the shelf. And when I've got several of the records on the shelf, I don't buy things because I don't like them. Mm. You know, I, I, I believe it was Keefe who told me specifically years, a couple of years ago, dude, why haven't you bought Gold and Gray? Why haven't you listened to that? I got it from the librarian and I was like, holy crap. Now I got it on vinyl. Uh, yes. It's not Gold and Gray, which is disappointing on the, the records itself, but. Yeah, they should have put out a golden grid. That may be too obvious, though, but you're not wrong. Um, no, they, they do that, but I didn't. The thing about Baroness, Baroness is kind of like Coheed and Cambria, where they're, they they move their stuff, and then it goes crazy valuable. I'm still surprised at what I sold some Coheed and Cambria records for. Not even classic stuff, so I don't even know what like Good God Apollo I'm Burning would go for. Probably $18,000 if I put my kid through the first year of college for it now. Coheed and Cambria fans are weird. Not a fan of that band. I mean, they're good. I get. I I have liked them, and I haven't gone to paid. I paid to see them. Sometimes I not, I, I, they... I saw them at a point fest, so I kind of paid. Point the point is one of our local radio stations. Yeah. I kind of paid to see them, and a lot of other people too. I, I like the uh, comics Claudio and his wife make. I, I I love them, but ear fatigue is an issue with them. Because Claudio, Claudio is like like John, where he's got that one gear. Mm, maybe. Um, but the difference is his one gear is not as compelling as John's one gear. Yeah, the, that's totally, yeah. Uh, grading is a word I could use. Anywho. I've heard that um, by a lot of people. So 11, the penultimate track, and really the final, final real song on the album is The Gnashing. I don't know how many albums you have where the 11th track could be almost a single and was played live for years on end. But this is that song. This is another banger. Again, Not enough another. because there aren't enough of that record. Yes. I mean, that, you know, it, it's when, you know, recently I, we had a guest on the DMA who said side two, oh, Steve Scavuzzo of Klaus Taste Satanic. And he said, we were doing the eternal or not. We were doing, um, the DEP sessions by by Iomi and Hughes. And he said, middle of side two where songs go to die. Yes, he is absolutely right. He's also not quoting me, but he was, you know, that's my thing. And there's not that here. This is, you know, this is a dark side of the moon style record where it starts strong and it finishes strong, but it also stays strong in the middle. In fact, I would say this is an album is stronger than Dark Side of the Moon just because Great Gig in the Sky is not phenomenal to me. But minority opinion, minority opinion, minority Ooh. opinion. Oh, I'm getting to I'm, like it more. I'm having but... chest pains just hearing you say those words. Oh, come on. Come on, Red Fox. I'm coming, mother. Liz a Elizabeth is the big one. Elizabeth, I'm coming to see you. Um, Famous St. Louis, and I'm going to throw that out. So here, so this is interesting. So the final track is Bullhead's Lament, the sequel to the opening track. And again, a theme, a thematic. Uh, might even have to do with the album artwork. I think there's some references in there to some of these things. I think there were probably, I think there's probably like a Where's Waldo game for every one of these albums where he has the whole concept of a lot of these songs and lyrics for a long time. And then he paints the cover. And then that drives the maybe some of the rest of the process for John. That's I'm guessing I, stuff right there. I'm guessing I don't know that for sure. But Bullhead's Lament is, you know, the final. It's kind of like a coda at the end. And for a, an album with five interludes and in instrumentals or partial instrumentals, maybe Steel That Sleeps the Eye has singing. So four instrumentals and a unplugged song with creepy vocals. And seven proper heavy songs, and it was the metal album of the year by Decibel, and it came out at the end of the year almost. So, like, this album rules. I can't say enough about it. Incredible singing, great song. Like, like when I listen back to it, when I hear, like, the choppy punk riff of Jake Leg and that little, that little lead guitar comes in, the hair stands up on my arms still. Or I hear some of these twin guitar harmonies, and little finishing pieces that they put on the end of some of these songs to, you know, key change at the very last stanza, something like that. Um, really amazing. And, uh, you know, Sweetest Curse says that, that, again, that prog part in the middle of Sweetest Curse 
could have been on a ELP or a yes record. Uh, and there's no keyboards on here that much, even comparatively, they really go crazy on the next record with synths. But, um, you know, this album's amazing. And again, it only has seven really, or six, maybe eight proper songs and four interludes, you want to say. So out of 12 tracks, doesn't feel like an hour long record. It's not, it's 45 minutes. And again, immediately it was lauded and loved. Uh, I was at a different website pre Ghost Cult at the time. And this was our, uh, I believe it was our, if it wasn't our album of the year, it was right next to it, like in the top three. Um, and the first, like they put the record out and they immediately go on tour as the opening band for Metallica and Lamb of God. So you want to know why they got so big? This is when they became significant in the public arena because they opened for Metallica in Australia. They played six songs, three off of Red and three off of Blue. And then they came home and they did their own headline tour. And then they went out for a year with Mastodon on the Crack the Sky tour. And that is how Baroness became a household name in America. And I'm going to tell you, Baroness, let's say halfway through that Crack This Guy tour, was not doing well as a band. And Brent was like a drunken maniac and broke his foot. And he's like on stage with a boot and can't move. And it was serious. I don't know how serious, but it was literally on Blabbermouth. It was on the PRP, whatever websites are still around, that there was a rumor that the members of Baroness were highly considering kicking out Brent. That would be a mistake, but they were thinking about kicking him out and replacing him with John, which if you think about it would work perfectly. He literally could, you know, he is a, you know, Wait, did you, the Mastodon guys, you mean the Mastodon guys were going to kick out Brent. Okay. Cause you said, you said, you said Baroness the whole sorry, time. Sorry. Sorry. The I'm sorry. The Mastodon guys were considering kicking out Brent Hines and replacing him with John from Baroness. Who was All their right, buddy? We cleared that up. And I, you know, like I don't know how real it was gonna, but it was like a rumor for a long time. And Brent would like there were shows where he literally was too drunk to play and like struggling. And there were other shows where they were brilliant. I think, you know, it's one of those things like the wall. If you don't bring 20 people out with you to put this thing on, you cannot replicate it. And Crack the Sky is one of those things where these guys. I uh, I don't want to get too crazy here. The album is about out-of-body experiences, partially. And they literally went outside of their bodies to create this body of work. And it's hard to recreate live. And they they should have actually maybe added the Baroness guys to the band, the whole of them, and been able to perform it that way. Because what they needed was like two more singers and four more guitar players and a second bassist, baby. But that's how difficult the record is. I tried to play some of it, believe me. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's why Baroness became humongous because they opened for Metallica. They spent a year on the two national tours as the direct support for Mastodon as what Mastodon went from clubs to theaters. And then they did festivals around the world. They continued to play Europe. They continued to do these European festivals. And ever since then, it's been up and up and up. Just want to say, I actually love theater shows. If I had my druthers, everyone would only play theaters. But going, getting back to the blue record, listening back to this today and really giving it the due it deserved, really giving it the attention it deserved, which I've never really done before, makes me so angry at myself how many times I passed this up in stores over the last couple of years when I had it in my hands and I went, no, I've got plenty. I have a lot of Baroness. And Wow. Uh, missed the mark on that one. This record is great. This record is fire, which is ironic because it's based on water. Who who blew your mind? But this is one of those albums that start that it it just is great all the way through. There's no lulls. It's a perfect record, and that is such a rare thing. And they did the greatest thing they can do. In the CD era, because this comes out in the mid late aughts, which is the the tail end of the CD era, where people are still releasing albums that are far too long, even though you can put 80 minutes on a CD does not mean you should. And you should not, because we are conditioned over the past 75 years that 45 minutes is the number. And again, they hit that 45 minute number. Red was 55, including 10 minutes of silence doesn't count. It was 45 and 45. And when you can just hit that, that's spectacular. And hopefully 
they won't change that. I will Hopefully. say that, yeah, I will say that foreshadowing. Um, just as a <laughs> foreshadowing, just as a closing thought as we end the show, I I think it's interesting to note that the band has always had these interludes and unplugged parts. I do believe they started to do some occasional radio shows where they would show up and play unplugged. And, um, you know, just two guitars or just John. And so I think that started on this album also, where they would go to promote the record in a, you know, play, play in Cincinnati tonight is Baroness at the at the Maverick. And here's the band to play a song unplugged in the studio. So, like, I think that's a thing. What will be interesting for the next record is that we'll get into it next week, that there's like a reaction to that record. I think it's well loved, but I think there's a reaction to that record because it's literally like a half and a half. But they've always kind of had this light and shade Zeppelin thing that I talked about last week. And it's never it's never more apparent than here, even more so than I think the next record. But like I just think it's interesting that fans consider them a super heavy band, but they've always had this light side to them that totally shows off their songwriting chops. Yeah, they're very I, I agree. They're very much reminiscent of Le- of of Led Zeppelin. And I almost said Leonard Skinner again because I for some reason in my brain it, it I they it, they get crossed. This, this is really funny. You'll love this. I have done two shows, uh you know like my live stream every week. And I did my podcast with Steve Toby from Ghost Cult where we do the recap of records that came out last month and a preview of this one and i literally opened the show twice by saying you're listening to the glacially musical podcast <laughs> when we're not listening to the glacially musical podcast it's the ghost cult podcast but mm. you have been listening and watching hopefully the glacially musical podcast and i'm gonna take us home and i'm gonna say that you know this has been our pleasure this is our fit we even was sick unwell infirm food poisoned achy breaky we're here to do the show so if you've made it this far you are awesome thank you for being here please help us out with a like and a subscribe or a share or a review on wherever you listen to podcasts or on youtube if you didn't like what you heard and you still made it this long you're clearly a masochist give us some grief in the comments we can take it we're tough and uh you know I'm again not. i, uh, I we're, i'm not either but i like to pretend <laughs> talk a lot of mess and uh you know once again Thank you, Nick, for being here, for being wonderful. You can follow Nick on all the socials. You can follow me on all the socials. They'll be in the description. As we like to say every week at the show, this has been the Glacially Musical Podcast. It does not play in Peoria, but Baroness most certainly has. I'm in immense pain. I don't feel too good either. We're going to just see it out (laughs) on that note. Here we go.